Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Social and Innovation Think Tank, a forum where we discuss the latest ideas in social innovation. My name is Paul Tracy and I'm Professor of Innovation and Organisation at the Cambridge Jewish Business School and Co-Director of the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. And we have here as well my co-host, Neil Stott, who's also Co-Director of the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation and who also leads the Master's Programme in Social Innovation that we run at the school. So I'm really pleased to welcome our guests today who are Nicole Helwig and Belinda Bell. Let me very briefly introduce them to you. Uh, Nicole leads the Centre for Social Enterprise at Memorial University of Newfoundland in Canada and is also a fellow of the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. And Belinda leads Cambridge Social Ventures, which is the social venture incubator uh, that we have here at the Judge Business School. Both are social entrepreneurs, having created multiple social ventures between them, and they both have extensive experience of supporting uh, social entrepreneurs of different kinds around the world as well. And we've invited them to speak with us today um, about their experiences of working with social enterprises, and in particular about how their work has changed over the past work months since we've been in lockdown, when it's not been possible to engage face-to-face or in the same way with the, the entrepreneurs that they're helping. So before I hand over to Neil, uh, to get the question started. Let me um, just start off by asking you both to briefly say a little bit about the work that you do. Uh, so maybe Belinda, I can start off with, with you, please. Yeah, sure. So uh, over at Cambridge Social Ventures, we are the bit of the centre of social innovation that works directly with entrepreneurs to help them to start up their ventures and then to scale their ventures. So we were, although we're within university, we don't work specifically with university students or university staff. We mainly work with people from outside Cambridge who are interested in social change and using business models to create social change. And they tend to be at the early stage and we help them to develop their ideas into businesses and then to develop their businesses and, and grow them and raise investment and so forth. And we've been around for about five years and um, across our programs, we've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs, but the kind of incubation bit, which I think we're focusing mainly on today Day, we've worked with kind of about 150 um, early ventures, growing them up. Great. Thank you very much. Nicole? Thank you, Paul. Uh, so my, I'm a manager at the Centre for Social Enterprise, as you mentioned, um, and we have quite a broad mandate. Um, we do interact a lot with students, unlike Cambridge Social Ventures. Uh, we have an emphasis on experiential learning as a means for students to discover social enterprise, uh, often through community service learning or uh, work placements in social enterprise. Uh, we're also associated with a new program at our Faculty of Business Administration, which is an MBA in social enterprise and entrepreneurship. Um, and we interact with some of those students um, in a new initiative we have, which is our social venture incubator, um, which uh, I'll talk more about this morning. We've been around since uh, uh, 2016, officially launched in 2017. So we're fairly new and a lot of our initiatives are either just getting established or are in early stages. Um, and we do have some community engagement as well. Some of that is, comes from those other initiatives I mentioned where, with interactions with students, but we also run an annual social startup weekend, uh, interacting with social entrepreneurs out in community. That's great, thank you very much. Neil? Thank you. So we're in uh, very, very strange and, and challenging times for everybody. So my first question is uh, to, to Belinda uh, and then to Nicole, is how has COVID impacted on the social entrepreneurs that you are working with, please? 
So, we're a few months into this now, and I guess the surprising story is that the majority of our entrepreneurs are struggling with uh, being too busy and having too many customers and too much work, as opposed to the opposite of that. So obviously what we hear in the media, you know, is a lot about businesses that are, are struggling um, and in particular businesses that are, are very visible, you know, kind of, you know, leisure industry, cat, re restaurants, cafes, that sort of stuff. Um, and so I haven't looked into the data here yet, but I suspect that the reason that so many of our ventures are doing so well and just struggling with um, overwhelm is to do with the, the sectors that they're in. Um, Unfortunately, in many ways, lots of B to, lots of social ventures are in B2C businesses, um, which I say is unfortunate because I think that to really change the economy, we need more social entrepreneurs working in B2B businesses. So by that, I mean selling services to other businesses rather than directly to consumers. But um, what we've seen during lockdown is that very many of our entrepreneurs have still been able to connect with their consumers, obviously via the internet, um, but their businesses have been... Um, in many, many cases, scaling. That's much more the problem we're hearing than, than having no customers. And largely, we do work with ventures that have customers, whereas a, um, a commercial incubator that was doing early stage work would be more likely to be working on kind of IP development and R&D, and so they might not have customers yet, um, which again means that lockdown doesn't really affect them so much, whereas most of ours are working you know, with customers. Um, and I guess lots of the problems that our entrepreneurs are trying to address, those that are using uh, the public sector as a customer, you know, we know that those social problems are going to become exacerbated in the, in the months and years ahead. So, um, so as I say, it's kind of a surprising story that it's as, as positive as it is. So that would be my initial response to that. Um, and I don't know how Nicole's experience is different. Thanks, Belinda. There are quite a, I'd say the first thing that has been really impactful is seeing the shift to remote work and the challenges that some of our social entrepreneurs have had working from home. Um, we work often with individuals who have lived experience, so they may have some challenges. They may be um, in circumstances where it's difficult to manage what's happening both with their their social enterprise, but also with what's happening in the background at home. Um, the, the, and I would say that we're seeing a positives and negatives, again, depending on the sector. We have a lot of um, social enterprises in our province that are linked to our tourism sector, which has been badly hit, not to say devastated. Um, and any um, social enterprises working seasonally that would rely on tourists for business are really struggling. We have um, community partners that have laid off all of their staff. They're completely running voluntarily, trying to keep keep alive during this period. Um, the on the flip side, what the pandemic is highlighting is well, some of the things we already know um, in terms of the social issues that are faced in our community. They've been exacerbated, but they've also been brought to the forefront. So, in our context, um, senior care comes to, to mind, as well as safe and affordable housing, food insecurity. So in some ways, this is, uh, I almost want to say, proving the necessity for these social enterprises to exist. Mm -hmm. They're addressing the issues in the current circumstances, but are always there. And uh, the value that they're bringing, the value of their work, uh, they're able to uh, highlight that all the more right now, given the circumstances. So I think what you're saying is that context matters 
you know, Absolutely. the experience of our, our uh, UK-based compared to the experience of Newfoundland, which is a very different economy, more tourism, etc., mm. uh, has made a very big difference. Yeah. Um, Nicole also actually made a point there, which um, which I wasn't aware of. You you, you referred to people keeping going, yeah, even if um if, if they were doing it in a voluntary capacity, and I think that's quite an interesting point that some of our other data shows that people who attend our kind of um, early stage social venture weekends, you know, normally the real world when we can have them, um, they're much more likely to be maintaining their ventures years later, even though they're very early, and. That's partly because some of them uh, oscillate between having paid staff and then reverting to a voluntary capacity. So things that are on the sort of community charity end of the social business spectrum have this capacity to sort of slip back down, if, if you call it down, into a non-business model but a voluntary model to kind of then stay there in hibernation and then come back and, and have another go at, uh, at trading subsequently. So that's interesting because I definitely know that some of our entrepreneurs' uh, journeys involve a period of that and it's interesting to hear Nicole saying that that's what's playing out in Newfoundland. Yes, that's definitely what we're seeing. And uh, in some cases where they've uh, had to let go all of their staff, we've been trying to see if we can get some student support in there in the, in the interim to help them with their contingency plans and plans as they would transition out of the, the pandemic circumstances afterwards. Mm -hmm. I, mean, it's, I think it's a very quite compelling idea, this, this shrinking. I must admit, in my previous life, as chief executive of Island Trust, one had to do this on occasions especially in 2008, had to shrink down quite a bit. But it gets to a point that you can't pay yourself or your core staff. Um, so I'm just wondering if, you, you know, um, Fishing for Success, which is based in, in Petty Harbour, Newfoundland, and Paul and I have visited a number of times. You know, they're a small organisation which rely on the income, presumably, from, from their activities. How are they surviving? Well, I can't speak to the full specific as specifics of what they're doing, but I have noticed some activity on their social media where they are shifting their target. So they really are highlighting the what we're calling the staycation. So whereas we're not bringing the tourists from, from the mainland, from mainland Canada or elsewhere, uh, the provincial government has been saying, well, we, we are in fairly uh, safe circumstances to travel on the island, in Newfoundland, so what can we, can we do? So it seems that they are targeting the domestic market more than they might have um, in order to keep running some of their programs um, this season. So it's been very creative. Yes. Yeah. Uh, pivoting comes to mind as, as, a, yeah. as a term, but not pivoting on the, the mainstay, their mission, but pivoting on how they're operating. Yeah. It's funny you should say that in the, when I was thinking about this session earlier today, I was making some notes to myself and I wrote down the word pivot question mark um, because nothing that I'm seeing looks like a, a pivot pivot. Uh, it looks, uh, yeah, more like kind of moving some of the, the edges, changing some of the bits. Uh, and also with the ones that we're seeing doing this sort of pivoting, we don't yet know if they'll revert to plan A at some point in 2021 so that's I, I think on the whole it's likely that the ventures that have made these changes are going to end up with some kind of blended model coming out the back of it because you know they've learned some good things um so I was yeah I'm not quite sure we can if we can call what we're saying pivots so you're obviously thinking the same yes 
I'm wondering how much encouragement the social entrepreneurs are needing to uh, to move in this different direction. Is it very obvious to them because obviously things are difficult, other opportunities have been closed off. Is it very obvious to them they need to make this transition or is this something that you're working with them quite closely to, to uh, identify and pursue particular opportunities? So <clears throat> I think most of this is, is I, I, the term that came to mind as you were speaking, Paul, was survival instinct. So when you're pushed into a corner, often, uh, well, it's necessity is the mother of invention. Um, there have been, we've had quite a number of supports coming um, through the federal government, um, perhaps a little bit later than some of the, the nonprofit sector in particular would have, would have liked, but there's been a big effort on trying to keep um, uh, people afloat in the short term. Um, and along that, you know, a lot of conversation about what do we do? If we do not have tourism, what can we do? If we are able to um, attract people locally, um, what do we need to do to change what we're, what we're offering? So I think we're seeing some of that, um, but we're also seeing organizations that are saying, well, let's take advantage of this downtime, so to speak, um, and start something new or look at something that we had wanted to do before. Um, there have been some organizations that have deliberately looked at um, the impact, for example, of COVID-19 on youth employment. So they're taking, using my words loosely, taking advantage of the situation to try to, to position and again, uh, emphasize that the, the work that they're doing. And in other cases, I know of one voluntary organization, they might have started some uh, revenue generating activity, but now they're, they're hunkering down and say, we're going to work further on how, on development of, uh, of our plans rather than um, starting to, to, to test our market. So let's turn to, to, to your role. Um, you know, so the day job, before COVID was, you know, at least it seems that part of it was providing incubation. In Cambridge Social Ventures case, a couple of cohorts of around about 10 to 13 organisations. Um, how has that changed? What have you done in the face of COVID? I think we'll start with Belinda. Mm. So we were due to um, start a new cohort in March um, and so we did start a new cohort in March but obviously in a, in a different way so we've been running our cohort last for 12 months so we've been running this uh, in this entirely online now for, for six months and uh, and actually now just preparing to to take on another cohort and um, it's the fact we're preparing to take another cohort has given us time to sort of reflect on how how it's going so our support program consists of um, it's uh, a business advisor allocated to each entrepreneur or to each venture um, who, who they usually meet once a month uh, plus a training day once a month where they meet with one another as well as doing some training um, plus various ad hoc introductions events and so forth help with finance uh, and workspace in our offices as well so obviously the workspace in the offices uh, is not there um, the one-to-one -one relationship with the business advisor is super important. It's to, what we think the crux of our support comes from having skilled, experienced business advisors who know the field who work directly with these ventures. And those business advisors already occasionally have their meetings online, but not more than sort of every other one. Um, and in this case, they've had to get to know the entrepreneur online and then continue to meet with them online. So what we found is interesting is that we've... Rather than having longer once a month meetings, 
many entrepreneurs are choosing to have shorter fortnightly meetings, which kind of changes the pattern of the support. Um, and certainly it was sort of originally offered as a possibility because everything was so dynamic at the, at the beginning of lockdown. Um, but we think that for some entrepreneurs, that works better particularly sole entrepreneurs who if you leave them alone for a month can sometimes can get distracted down a, um, a, a blind alley. Um, but also just to do with people's personality types and how much they like to touch base and so forth. Um, so we're doing this, to, for some entrepreneurs, doing this shorter, more frequent, but all online meetings. Um, although we're hoping now to start doing some business advisor meetings face-to-face, -face, but only where people want to and can. Um, and that's the other thing that we've been really um, struck by is how in fact doing the training online there are disadvantages like i think we're all concerned about how effective online learning can really be but it does mean it's much more accessible and so um we've always have our training days open to our alumni ventures who are not all in Cambridge, they're all over the country and some in other parts of the world. Um, and because now they're online, the training days, more people can come to them and do come to them. So that's a kind of real advantage. And of course, there's no limit to how people you fit in the room or whatever, there's no capacity problem. We can just do it for many, as many ventures as possible. Um, so that's been really good. And we've changed the days as well, because you can't just take what you used to do in the real world world and then put it online and so our training days are shorter um, and in fact what we normally do now is we have an hour and a half session in the morning and an hour and a half session in the afternoon with some kind of length of gap between a couple hours between um, and we're always good at this face to face but we're even better at this online we um, we start on time because of people having childcare responsibilities and other things going on in their houses. Um, we have frequent breaks. It's our view that you can't really do more than 45 minutes without a break, and half an hour to 45 minutes. Um, and we flag when those things are going to be over this course of the day. So what we find is we can teach them something in the morning and then in the mid part of the day, people can go away and work on it or whatever, have one-to-one -one meetings with some of us online or over Slack or whatever. And then in the afternoon session, we do something that's picked up from the thing they did in the morning sometimes. Um, so that is different when we have the whole day together, when there'll be more opportunity for them to network with one another. So that's the thing that um, it's really hard to do the bit where uh, the entrepreneurs get to know each other, the peer-to-peer -peer networking. For, for our cohorts that have never met face-to-face, -face, it's really hard to do, and I don't know how successful we can be in it. Um, we make direct introductions uh, between the entrepreneurs when we can see a connection, but the kind of... Um, uh, the randomness of when you're just like in the pub together at the end of the day and have chats and, and get together, that's hard to replicate. Although we have a good attempt. So we do have a kind of pub session at the end of the day. And uh, one of my colleagues acts as the landlord and um, he sort of moves people around in groups of in threes or fours. And it is a bit like being in the pub in that you kind of get hoiked out of this group because someone says, oh, can you just come and have a word with so-and-so? Or somebody drops their drink and everyone has to go and disperse or whatever. So it's sort of a bit like this. You're randomly moved between small groups and it, it does give us an attempt, hopefully, for people to get to know each other outside of a transactional relationship. Um, but I don't know how successful we can ever be in that peer-to-peer -peer connection remotely. I just don't know the answer to that yet. What has feedback been like, Belinda? So because this cohort are already halfway through, it's quite early days for, for them. Um, so, but we're not getting 
um, any negative feedback. I think people are pleased to have any support, right? And we did give the people um, the opportunity to not join this cohort, actually, and to wait six months. And two, two ventures took that opportunity up, but they're now joining us in September, even though we're still going to be online. Um, I think, so it's the best we can do. But in fact, we've been really surprised how the upsides and the downsides balance out. It's, it's been nothing like as negative as, as we expected. For those entrepreneurs we have who are based elsewhere, um, the uh, the inclusion aspects are really significant, including people who've actually got an entrepreneur that's just had twins, babies. Uh, so being the fact that our sessions are recorded now, not for us to kind of put all over the internet, but for the entrepreneurs that are, but that are meant to be there, but they've just had a baby or their little one comes into the room screaming or whatever, whatever. Um, so there's that bit of the inclusion for people with um, sort of families and responsibilities that what, because it's recorded, they can engage in it. Uh, but also we work with a number of entrepreneurs who English isn't their first language. And um, the, uh, we were discussing this in the team meeting yesterday. It turns out some of those entrepreneurs listen again and again and go back through it in a way that you can't do, uh, obviously, in the face-to-face in -face training. Um, so, yeah, we've been surprised about the upsides. Of course, the entrepreneurs haven't experienced the other way around, so it's hard, it's hard to know what, how to compare it. Nicole, what's your experience? Well, uh our experience has been quite different, and that's partly because, as I mentioned, we're, our incubator is quite new. We only, in the sense, had the green light in at the end of December, and um, even before March and the lockdown hit us, we also went through a state of emergency after having a massive snowstorm, which shut down our city for a week in January. So uh, we've been building with uh, baby steps. We have two social entrepreneurs at the moment who are students in the MBA in social enterprise and entrepreneurship. So they're tied to that learning as a, as a cohort. And we have one more who's coming in from a, a different graduate program at, at the university. Um, we have, I, I would say, the time the lockdown hit, the, the problem that I was dealing with was space. Where am I going to put social entrepreneurs during um, what was going to be the summer period, spring, summer uh, period, we were also looking at the time of how we would have uh, incubation of community organizations. Um, and we'd had everything all lined up, neatly tied up with a bow, and then we were locked down. So it's been really, um, again, um, you know, how, a period of figuring things out. I'd say the biggest challenge has really been finding ways to keep communicating with um, the entrepreneurs. They're, they're all individual social entrepreneurs. Um, though they have uh, some team members associated with them, they're the main contact that we've been interacting with. Um, they have uh, faculty who are their supervisors, their advisors, um, but some of those people are, are different parts of the world as well. So that coordination, keeping on top of what's happening has been, I'd say, the biggest challenge. Um, noting that some people were, one person in particular was very responsive. Um, I'd put out uh, a call probably three weeks into the, the, the lockdown about here's ideas of the supports that we thought you needed. What is this right? What do you need? How shall we interact? And some people, some of them um, uh, seized the opportunity in other, in another case, it was very difficult again because of the challenging circumstances. So it, we've had to take it one you know, case by case um, and uh, try to find ways that are appropriate to keep in touch with, uh, with the social entrepreneurs. Um, we've been fortunate to partner with a, a nonprofit organization in Canada that 
provides um, funding. Um, they fund graduate student and now undergraduate student research projects. So they're tied to the university, but we've been able to tie them to an, uh, what they call an, an accelerate program for entrepreneurs. And it has given, I hope, our entrepreneurs something to latch onto because it's been very hard in, in isolation to remain on track, uh, to keep oneself disciplined. So one thought was if we give them something that's concrete that they can be working on, putting together some words to paper, a proposal, and some funding that comes along with it, then it can hopefully be a, a ways to keep people motivated and on track. And so far, uh, it's been, uh, it appears to be successful. We'll, we'll see going forward. Um, but that's also been a way of, of trying to reach out and find additional resources for, um, for the, the social entrepreneurs we're working with. And meanwhile, we've been looking at our programming for the fall, again, getting a sense of, of the needs. Um, one thing I've been hearing is that we've been to the different business development agencies, but they don't understand us. They don't understand our business models. They don't understand what we're trying to do. So we've been reaching out and trying to find um, other voices, so to speak, who, can, who have a, a greater understanding of one organization, for example, is, is struggling. Should we be registered as a cooperative? Or would we be a hybrid for-profit, non-profit model? So those kinds of questions, they're trying to find legal advice, trying to find accounting advice. So we're working on putting some of that programming together, knowing that we're going to be doing it remotely as well. So echoing some of um, Belinda's comments about how effective can we be, what, can our, what expectations might we have, and uh, how do we bring some more uh, participation to those sessions or do we keep them closed solely to the, the current social entrepreneurs that we're, we're engaging with? So it's been a, a definitely a very interesting uh, startup experience for our incubator to go through these uh, different circumstances. But I'd say the, the surprise for me is, is how space is, has often been seen as critical and is probably now not as critical. Um, I often say that at the Center for Social Enterprise, we, we, we try to keep the social in social enterprise, and we're definitely been handed the challenge with, uh, with these circumstances of, of remote work. That's interesting because I know that Blinda and Paul and I have talked on a number of occasions about space and the importance or not of actual having physical space. Because in Cambridge Social Ventures, the actual physical space has not been that critical, has it, to, to, the, to the mix? Yeah. Ever. It's interesting. When I first, um, when I set up Cambridge Social Ventures, I went to some other um, social incubators around the UK, of which there are a handful, and I asked them what the most important thing they did was. And um, insightfully, uh, they all said different things, which told me quite a lot about how much we understand incubation uh, or not. Um, and also those of them that had moved spaces a lot didn't think that physical space mattered at all. Whereas those of them that were in prestigious buildings where they had always been thought that the space was very, very important. Um, so, uh, and across not just social incubation, but incubation in general, there is somewhat of a debate about space um, and whether or not it really matters. But of course, like that's really changing now. You know, the whole um, the whole space question for, for the whole economy is changing so much um, that I think we're going to see it going down the list of uh, of priorities for, for social entrepreneurs. But it was never anything like as high as um as people make out, uh, in my view. So on that note, <clears throat> hopefully we're moving from a situation of 
you know, lockdown is easing and people are going back into offices and spaces, how are you going to do things moving forward? Are you going to make changes or are you going to say, yay, business as usual? What's going to, what's going to happen in the next, next few months, do you think? Let's leave aside a second lockdown for the sake of this question. <laughs> well, so um, we, I think, will definitely maintain some remote delivery. The problem comes with, like, we all know this, like when you're in a, a meeting of some sort, if one person is remote, then it's hopeless. You know, whereas if half of you are remote and half of you are in the room, then that works okay. So I'm not sure how we can do it, but the disadvantages of the remoteness can definitely be somewhat offset by, uh, by the advantages of including people. Um, and of course, by reducing travel and all that sort of stuff. Um, the shorter but more frequent meetings I mentioned. I'm not sure how that can work, but if you are actually traveling to go face to face, then it, then it becomes less practical. You know, if the advisor's going all the way to London, but only for a 45 minute meeting, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so I think the, the, the shorter frequent things won't, don't sit very well with a face to face context. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll have to see, but mixing it up somewhat. And as I say, our advice actually always did do some Skype meetings or phone meetings or face-to-face -face meetings. I think we'll, everybody will be more comfortable with kind of mixing things up more. One of the other things that both Nicole and us are sort of privileged to have are the close links to universities. Um, and the, we've had some fabulous student projects over the last six months where students are coming to work in the ventures in different ways to uh, for different parts of different student courses um, I it seems inevitable that this incident is going to lead to even more interest in the sorts of work we do and in particular we'll see that in terms of um, student projects and students working with our entrepreneurs and the reason I kind of hesitated there when I said it seems inevitable is that we all know that out the back of 2008 nothing changed at all and so I'm not 100% sure, but it seems inevitable that there is a kind of growing interest in this sort of field. Um, and hopefully that will enable us to embed the kind of work we do further into the university infrastructures and to therefore derive more benefit for our entrepreneurs from all of those kind of other things that go on. Nicole? So, <clears throat> pardon me, I think that we would have a, a couple of different um, tacts. Uh, one, when I think of the students who are in our MBA in social enterprise, the cohort effect is, is something that we've been emphasizing very strongly. And having interacted with that group of students, knowing that some of our social entrepreneurs are coming from that group, the, the social bonding and the peer support has been uh, such, such an enriching part of their program that um, we had, I think we would like to still see how we can leverage that, how the, our incubator would have been sharing space with that program. So as we transition back, I would love to see that we still have some of those interactions. I'd love to see how we could bring other students from other programs into that space as well. I think we would probably end up with some blend as well. Um, I think we've found the, a number of advantages with Zoom technology, for example, you know, being able to meet um, um, when people are, are still at home um, and re recording sessions, being able to share things. Um, but I've also been pondering about the geography, um, the province where I live in Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador um, is, uh, you know, relatively speaking, it's a very large 
um, space for you know, 520,000 people. Um, our university has now officially three different campuses. There's a new campus in Labrador. And I wonder if there might be some opportunities there for us to expand what we call incubation um, on, you know, through you know, online opportunities. So that's something that I would be exploring to see what the opportunities might be. It might also be another way for us to um, continue or ex extend our community engagement um, and uh, reach out into other communities where these supports would be lacking. Um, again, the social piece is the part that has me pause because we can't just parachute ourselves into communities and say, here we are, uh, please come and take part in everything that we do, we're wonderful people. Um, it does imply getting, getting to know the communities, getting to know the real needs um, and seeing what, uh, what people would be interested in and uh, what kinds of ideas that they're working on for social impact. Thank you. Paul? So Belinda, before you mentioned that you were missing some of the informal activities uh, in the work that you do, going to the pub at the end of the, uh, the, the days, for example, well, I'm interested to know what else have you been missing over the the last weeks and months um, about the way that you normally work? Belinda. So I guess I've been missing um, the opportunity to have the bigger picture conversations um, and rather than the transactional stuff, as I kind of mentioned earlier. And we did hold, so we, one of the things we started doing during lockdown was holding a, a, an informal drop-in once a week for just anybody who wants to come along to talk about anything. And at the early days of that, it was kind of like, some people were there just like basically in shell shock, you know, what the hell was going on. So it wasn't particularly business-led. But one of those, we, we, we explicitly framed it as a conversation around something we, we were aware that some of our entrepreneurs were thinking, which is, I might be a social entrepreneur, but what does it mean to be running a social venture which isn't what the world needs right now? And by that I mean um, uh, we've got entrepreneurs who are not solving COVID and they're not engaging with Black Lives Matter. And some of those were kind of thinking, is this, is this even what I should be doing? Like, so it might be an ethical dress, but for heaven's sake, does the world need dresses? So we have quite a lot of people with sort of this kind of existential you know are should I even be doing this um uh, and I like the fact that our entrepreneurs are the sort of people who think that deeply um and so it was nice to be able to kind of have conversations about that about that big picture thinking because one of the things that holds us together from you know we were very very diverse entrepreneurs is this idea that we're trying to build a better world and um I think we decided that the answer to that question about, you know, should I be doing this social venture when it's not what the world needs right now is that many of the problems that this pandemic has been caused by or the way that it's panned out come down to capitalism. And uh, so, yes, you should be doing your venture right now because um, capitalism needs to change, right? And it needs to change across the whole piece, uh, even if you haven't particularly got a cure for COVID or a solution to racial to racism. Um, but those conversations are harder to have um, and harder to have the, uh, the big group conversations where you get the kind of the more chance of the kind of um, really different opinions coming in. And um, we're used to having these really varied groups of people around us who can all input. On the flip side, though, you know, it's definitely the case that doing stuff remotely, we hear different voices. Um, that, you know, you'll see this from the kind of students who put their hands up in class to the, the kind of students who will talk on the chat on a, on a online thing are a different set of students. And it's 
I'm very taken with how much more inclusive a lot of this stuff is, much more so than I would have thought. So, yeah. Yeah, so I miss the diversity of conversations. Nicole, what, what about you? What, what have you missed um, over the last few months? Oh, I've also missed the, the human interactions, definitely. Um, we, you know, the word, I think we're talking about incubation and isolation. I can highlight the word isolation in, in that in particular. I think the, the idea of reaching out um, through you know, different types of media, whether it's email, text message, so sometimes phone calls and uh, Zoom meetings, etc. Again, just trying to keep in touch with people and communicating and finding ways to say, how are you? Knowing that circumstances are very difficult and some people are, are experiencing you know, very difficult circumstances. Other people are, are managing all right. So how do, we, how do we have conversations about the work people are doing when you, know, you tactfully have to try and understand what else is going on in their lives at the same time? So not having those ability, you know, that ability to, to see people face-to-face, to read their body language, to really get to connect, um, I miss that. And uh, it's, it adds an extra layer of, of nuance and challenge in, uh, in keeping those, those channels of communication alive and open. So my, my final question to you both is, you know, reflecting back over the last few uh, weeks and, and months, what has surprised you most about supporting entrepreneurs in isolation, social entrepreneurs in isolation? What has surprised you the most? Linda. So I have been surprised at how many of them that we work with had a bit of a business model that could be done remotely uh, or had already piloted something remotely or had quite well-developed plans for how this thing could be remote and things that I didn't think could be remote at all. Um, so, for instance, we were working with a um, um, essentially a dating agency for people with learning disabilities um, who obviously find it really hard to meet people and normally the introduction process for you know it's the two founders go and meet each individual member of this dating agency and then they take them together to the pub with some other people and it's very very hand-holding and you'd think that that was essential for that client group um and it turns out that for some of that client group that is essential but for a whole bunch of other people in that client group actually doing remotely is much much more accessible um and some of them which may never be able to go to the pub even with two people holding their hands uh, but they can talk online and for some of them it will be a gradual process um and I must say, I just assumed that this business was just going to have to wait six months before doing anything. And I was completely wrong. Um, so, and, and, the, and the founders were prepared to give it a whirl as well. They were like, up for, but apart from the else, because they saw that the isolation of lockdown meant it was essential that they did see if they could make this work remotely. And I think they've been surprised as well by the outcomes. So really nice stories like that. Yeah, that's a great story. Thank you. Nicole? I would say that what surprised me was how much we could we were and are still trying to get done using what we're saying as this is part of our COVID-19 response. So it, I wouldn't say we've had to go as far as break some rules, but we've had to find different ways of delivering our programming. And sometimes that has meant let's take this and run with it and then we hit administration and then we figure it out. Let's get it done. We know we're going to run into some things that are going to be a bit tangly as we say over here, but then we'll untangle it. We'll find a way to get it done. And I've been really pleased at how supportive um, people, whether they're my colleagues or community partners have been. 
Um, it's been a little bit of all hands on deck. Um, we know that things are, are tough, so here's an idea. Do we agree that this is a good one to run with? Let's run with it. So uh, that's been really interesting to, to experience. And uh, um, I almost feel as if we're, we're, we're getting used to the circumstances now. I hope we don't become too complacent. Um, and I hope we take some lessons um, from this where, oh, actually, yes, we can do these things. We just never had the circumstances that gave us that little nudge to say, let's go ahead and try. Well, Nicole. Sorry, Paul. No, I was just going to wrap things up, Neil. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you very much indeed to uh, Nicole and Belinda for joining us, for sharing your experiences. And I hope that we can get you back on uh, in the weeks ahead and you can update us uh, about what's happening when we go back to normal, whatever that normal uh, happens to be in the future. So thank you very much once again. Thank you. Thank you.